You're listening to the Climactic Podcast Network. During National Science Week, SciFite, a science comedy debate, came to Melbourne. This is the show from August 21st, recorded at Howler in Brunswick. Our thanks to Atlanta Colley for letting us bring you this recording. You'll find details in the show notes on how to follow SciFite in order to make it to their future events in person. If you've got an event coming up you'd like to share with the wider climate community, just get in touch with us at hello at climactic.fm. Enjoy. Friends, welcome to Sci-Fi Science Comedy Debate! It is lovely to have you all here tonight. Are we good? Are we having a good National Science Week? Am I doing that political thing where I go up with it? I am. Anyway, welcome. Can I have some noise for people who have never been to sci-fi science comedy debate before? All of you. Not a single person has come back. It's not a good sign of completely zero retention. Uh, welcome. Tonight is going to be a lot of fun. Now, tonight is a very special sci-fi because it is part of National Science Week. Some noise for National Science Week. As long as we don't look too closely at the dates of when... National Science Week is. Not really into accuracy when it comes to science. We're just really early for the next one. It's fine. Now, uh, we're here tonight. We're actually in partnership with the Science Gallery Melbourne. Can I have some noise from the Science Gallery Melbourne crew? (laughs) They got a booth. The rest of the room dislikes you intensely. Now, Science Gallery Melbourne, for those of you who have not heard of them, explore the collision between art and science with very cool pop-up exhibitions on very cool topics. Their current exhibition is on the theme of disposable and you should all definitely go see it. Uh, Just not right now. I'd be very sad if you all left. Now for the newly initiated sci-fi science comedy debate is where we bring together the great minds of comedy and science and make them debate very serious issues in ridiculous ways. It's very much like Parliament, but I find it's more representative. Uh, Now, my name is Alanta. I am your host and MC for this evening. My job is to mainly try to keep everything on the rails and out of court. Wish me luck. Uh, Now, tonight we are debating whether or not humans are worth saving. Are we a single-use species as humans? We love inbuilt obsolescence. Does it apply to us as well? Are we the one-hit wonder of the millennia? Are we a shooting star of a species too bright to sustain ourselves, too dumb to change our fate? Will Earth remember us as the makers? We made art, we made language, we made love. We also made 7.8 billion tonnes of plastic, 33 billion tonnes of carbon emissions last year, and Sky News... Can we undo the damage that we have done? Can we be given a second chance? How do we make this one up to Mother Earth? Are we in all good conscience worth saving as a species? Now here to answer none of these questions and more are our debaters. Now batting for the affirmative tonight, we have the team who sees the better side of humanity. Uh, We'll throw to Beck. Hello, Beck. 
Hello. Hello. The first time I had Beck uh, at one of my debates, she threw glitter all over the stage, <laughs> which was whimsical and very bad for the environment. The venue was angry. It was. But Beck stayed behind and cleaned up the whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we're debating about humanity tonight. I wanted to ask you, if there was another animal that you could be, what would it be? Any animal? Any animal. Your brain just exploded a little bit. I saw that. Well, there's just, there's a lot. Probably bear. Bear? Yeah, you get a bunch of salmon, you get to nap. You can, like, really kill someone. That's not a good (laughs) Wow! We're the positive side, can you tell? <laughs> Batting for humanity tonight. Take betrayers. <laughs> I'll throw to you, Richard. Um, okay, Richard, I just need to ask you, thank you so much for joining us. This is your first sci-fi. This well. is my first one, yes. I'm very yeah. excited. Aww. But you've been here doing storytelling and other things, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. That's, that's all. No, um, what I was going to ask you was, uh, do you feel like you've got... A bit of an unfair advantage tonight, being that you are arguing two humans for humans about humans as, as a human. Well, I think one of those points you may have pointed out might be wrong. We- <laughs> is it, is That's it right. too invasive to ask you which one I got wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are lizard people among us people. Just, I'm just saying. They'll, they'll say there aren't, or they'll get up in a debate and say there are, just to deflect away the fact that there are. Rowan. Yes. Hello. Hello. Alanta, are you a lizard person? Well, if I told you I was, it wouldn't be a thing that a lizard person would do if they were covering... I don't know it Sounds like lizard logic to me. <laughs> I really rolled that grenade into the room and let the pin out. <laughs> You've got me on the back foot. I'm the adjudicator. You want me on your side, Rowan? I, I like lizards. You like lizards. I'm a fan. Do you like lizard people, though? Uh, I'm neutral on lizard people. Okay. I like lizards. I don't like people. Um, so it comes out perfectly <laughs> zero neutral. <laughs> Feels racist, but I've got nothing to back that up. So I'm just going to keep moving. Um, I was actually going to ask you, as the zoologist on our debating team tonight, um, has the study of animals helped you understand human behaviour better? Um, yes and no. Um, I guess... I, I think I, I shouldn't use up all my material too early. It's made me just anti-human, generally, I anti-human. think. The more you learn about... You know, if you're learning about all the animals, you're sort of like, well, they do this, they do that. Humans come out not looking very good. Right. Humans just stop the animals doing those things. Yeah, yeah, no, they're just... They're kind of... Lame? Can I say that? You're, I don't know saying you're lame, lame but uh, you know, humans as a species. Hashtag quite lame. not all humans. All right. Yeah. Good. Uh, Tanya, hello. Hello. You're awake. You're alive. I'm awake and so are you. Yeah. We both and the people in Table 90, we all survived Science Week. Yeah, we Yay. did. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're delirious up the back. You can hear it. Um, what was your favourite thing that you saw at National Science Week this, this year? Uh, look, first I'll give you the best pun, because Science Week is always good for it really puns is. in event titles. Uh-huh. There was Mind Over Fecal Matter at Royal nice. Society of Victoria. I thought that was quite good. But the best thing I thought was, um, was, and I have to say that because the Science Gallery people are here, is I really liked the sewer soapery. 
So that was luxury soap made from fat retrieved from sewers in the Philippines. Amazing. But it actually, it's really lovely soap. And the best thing was that, like, I got in and got a bar of it early just before Science Week started and took it back to the office at Science in Public where there's a whole bunch of science nerds who, you know, oh, we're rational, we know science, we trust that if things have been sterilised, they've been sterilised. So I had this bar of sewer soap in the bathroom <laughs> saying, use it if you dare. And it was really interesting and funny to Incredible. watch. Incredible. And only 50% of the office got cholera the next week. <laughs> Odds are amazing. Where do people yeah. buy uh, sewer soap now? Uh, Tilly, where do people buy sewer soap? They're no longer available. <laughs> you been, missed out. It's been taken off the market. No one knows why. Uh, yes. <laughs> we will throw to Toby. Hi, Toby. Hello. Welcome back. It's so good to be back. <laughs> um, now, looking at your opposition tonight, what, ch- what do you think the chances of your team are for victory? Oh, look, you know, I, I think that they've got, like you say, said before, they're arguing in front of a crowd of humans slash lizard people, <laughs> you know, so it's going to be a hard sell. Like, we've got, I mean, even though we've got gifts of suicide for everyone... <laughs> I'm no longer sure that it's going to convince people. I think, I think we're going to have some... Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun, but who knows, really? Okay, yeah. all right. So you guys are coming as the underdog to this argument. I don't really. want to say that, but we are definitely the pro-dog side. <laughs> okay. Let <laughs> me put it that way. Yeah, you know? Under pro- we're we're claiming know. all the other animals. They can have humans. That's, we get all the others. That's good. Okay. But there are cockroaches in that, so, you know, that's... You yeah, get but, good with the bad. But there's Donald Trump on that side, so... <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh. okay, make some noise if you're pro-Donald Trump. Make some noise if you're pro-cockroach in that equation. <laughs> yes! Do we even need to do the debate? <laughs> <laughs> Wait your turn, Toby. Wait your turn. Alrighty, the rules for the debate. Everyone knows you have more fun with rules, and these are the rules. Now, tonight is a civilised debate, uh, so please maintain a degree of humanity uh, throughout. Please sling objections, not ad hominems. A reminder to both teams not to defame the opposition. At the end of the evening, we're all on Team Human. At the end of the debate, the audience will be called upon, that is you, uh, people and lizard people, uh, among you, to decide with the amount of noise that you make who the winning team is and animal noises will be accepted. Uh, I've also promised the Halibar that the losing team will clean up all the burger crumbs in the venue after the event, but any chips that they find, they get to keep. Now, uh, I'm going to introduce our first speaker tonight. We have Ju Theng Su. Now, she has a passion for all things science and art. She works as a chemistry teacher and research assistant, uh, also as a Malthouse Theatre ambassador. She's worked on the National Youth Science Forum. She's collaborated with artists in Malaysia on murals, and she's here tonight as a representative of Science Gallery Melbourne's SciCurious Think Tank, would you please join me in making some noise for Ju Thang Su? Okay, um, hi everyone. My name is Ju and I am the first speaker for the affirmative uh, group. And I'm here to prove to you guys that humans are worth saving. So in my, in my opinion, humans are worth saving because, let's face this, I am not ready to die and so are you. <laughs> so... Okay. One more minute. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So. Um, um, yeah. So it's just like you know, if you put your mind to it, 
we should all work together and focus on helping the earth. Because we, if, if there's one thing um, humans are capable of, it's hope, right? So if, if we place, like, if we, only, we, we think positively, we have to think positively and we have to hope for the best, okay? And hope that we can convince everyone eventually on planet Earth to save the Earth. Because, take a look around, we have such a wonderful, it's such a wonderful place to be in, you know, you have your family, your friends, your music, your um, concerts and shows, okay, even those polluting the environment, but I'm sure we will be able to solve that problem. Okay, yep. I think that's it. <laughs> I quite enjoyed the way you just started to slow down what you were saying. At the end of that, that has worked for many American politicians and it, it worked for you tonight, Jew. Well done. <laughs> A round of applause for Jew. My very first debate was not that good, so congratulations. <laughs> Before we move to our next debater, I wanted to share some science news uh, with you. Uh, this, this report was released in Nature two days ago, and it says that climate change actually uh, is likely to make spiders more angry. <laughs> and it, it's not just because they always use keep cups and rideshare to work. Like, there's some actual science behind it. Um, the evolutionary biologists studying the arachnids in South America said that sea level rise causes more tropical storms and more aggressive spiders are more likely to survive bad weather because they've got better survival instincts. Also, when a tropical storm hits, apparently the aggressive spiders just eat the other spiders. <laughs> They're the only ones left, and they're the ones who are going to pass on their seed. Uh, I don't know if spiders have seed. I will check in with our biologist, zoologist, later. Uh, now, if the trend continues... <laughs> I can just feel him frowning at my back. <laughs> just done a massive harm to biology tonight. Sorry, everyone who has a science degree in the room. Um, if the trend continues, scientists warn we're likely to see an increase of spiders calling in to talk back radio, <laughs> complaining about millennials and voting for Brexit. Uh, the question prevails, do we as humanity even want to survive climate change if it means just living in an apocalyptic wasteland full of angry spiders? <laughs> I'm not sure it's me. But our next debater is going to correct all of the uh, scientific fallacies I just presented. Rowan is a curator at the Harry Brooks Allen Museum of Anatomy and Pathology at the University of Melbourne. He's a zoologist, he's a birder, he's a writer, he's a regular on ABC Radio where he talks all facts animal with David Astle. And it is a complete delight to have him joining us tonight for Sci-Fi. Please make some noise for Rowan Long! Good evening, fellow humans and lizard people. Now, look, we all know how this debate thing works. We've got a bunch of people up here. We're supposed to argue some contentions. It's an intellectual exercise. We're supposed to convince you humans are not worth saving. It's not necessary for the speaker to personally agree with the opinion that they're putting forward. 
It just so happens that I do agree with the opinion I'm putting forward. Humans are not worth saving. They're all terrible, and I can't even see why we're having this discussion at all. I don't think there's any... I, I, I think it's very strange people think that we're humans talking to humans, you're going to empathise with humans. I can see you now visibly getting annoyed that you've been put in such close proximity with other people. <laughs> you probably left home to get away from other people, and now you're in a room with more people, and you're thinking, this wasn't worth it at all. Now... Although I've kind of put my cards on the table, you know, philosophically speaking, I don't want you to think that I'm, uh, you know, irrational on this. I want, it, I want this to be free of bias. I don't want you to think that I'm prejudiced or, or bigoted. Some of my best friends are humans. But there is a lot of bias in this subject. Um, and as I said, I think it's pro-bias. It's a pro-human bias. So let's strip that bias away as we talk about the issues here. I want to talk about humans. Why don't we just call them species X? Let's not use this sort of loaded language. Let's talk about them. Uh, with the same scientific detachment that we would if we were talking about a sea snail or, say, a pubic louse. <laughs> now, do humans have an intrinsic evolutionary value? That's all we are. We're just another... We're species X amongst many other species. Do we have a value or a worth intrinsically? I'm going to shock you and I'm going to tell you, no, I don't think we do. I don't think we do. I think we're extremely boring. I think we are dull. We are basically featureless, squishy primates with mildly eccentric behavioural traits. That's all we are. That's it. Um, it doesn't rate very highly in the, you know, the annals of cool stuff animals can do. We do not have... We do not have fangs. We do not have antlers. We do not have sonar. We do not have iridescent plumage. We don't have ultraviolet vision. We don't have night vision. We can't fly. We can't pronk. We can't produce electric currents. We can't shoot a venom-tipped harpoon out of our proboscis into another animal and then reel its incapacitated corpse into our pharynx and devour them. We don't even have a proboscis. Now, our opponents, bless them, brought this up and I knew they would. Oh, but humans are intelligent. Humans are the most intelligent animals. We're the most intelligent. I've read that. You know who wrote that? Humans. <laughs> Humans wrote that. It's propaganda. It's like putting yourself down as a reference on your own CV. It's pathetic. If we asked octopus scientists, uh, hello, um, what is the most intelligent species of animal on the earth? They'd probably say octopuses. Uh, no, I will correct that. They're extremely intelligent animals. They'd probably say octopodes. Yeah little irregular plural uh, reference for the real fans out there. <laughs> but this is a scientific debate. I can't just talk about imaginary octopus scientists. We need to look at real authoritative, unbiased sources. And I want to talk about the IUCN Red List. So the IUCN is the international... I'm always going to forget this. The International Union for the Conservation of Nature. And the Red List is this enormous document which documents all the threatened species on this planet and talks about which ones are most deserving of our limited resources. It's based on field research. It's based on peer-reviewed academic research from around the world. It is literally an unbiased list of which animals are worth saving and which are not worth saving. So, are humans, are homo sapiens included on this list? No, they're not. Case closed. QED. Thank you very much for coming. Drive safe, everybody. It's been great. It's been real. Now, look, I could just stop right now, really, and go home, but I'm not going to do that. Um, I'd like to make a little digression, if I may. Um, now, Atlanta, when she was organising this... I can't actually see Atlanta. I'm trying to look at Atlanta. Uh, ..encouraged us uh, to roast other people 
uh, on the other teams. You know, that sort of like old school, you know, deep, make digs out of them, that sort of thing. But I'd like to, to uh, approach that in a more novel way at the moment and kind of uh, continue with the sort of self-loathing, kind of anti-human thing that I've got going and roast myself um, <laughs> to show you how weird and pathetic human beings are. So, here we go. Self-roast, number one. So, uh, I hear that uh, Rowan is a bit of a bird watcher. Likes to get out there looking for rare bird species. Uh, however, he's yet to find that rarest of species, someone who can handle listening to his tedious birdwatching anecdotes. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's good stuff. Um, one more. <clears throat> you know, they say you should dress for the job you want. Unfortunately for Rowan, I don't think there's that many roles out there for colourblind high school biology teachers who've just discovered Bonnevere. Anyway, yeah. Okay, I'm done. Uh, so, I'd like to talk about the thylacine. Every night, every night ends with me talking about the thylacine and tonight is no ex there's no exception. I almost said no extinction. Um, the thylacine, we all know what that is. Carnivorous marsupial, endemic to Tasmania. It went extinct. It went extinct. Isn't that amazing passive language? The thylacine went extinct. Maybe if it went to the shops, it'd be all right. Anyway, it went extinct in, on the 7th of September, 1936. We know of the last, well, the last one known of, I mean, obviously there may have been others out there. We knew they were getting very rare by this point, but we know the last one, the last one known died uh, in 1936 in September in Tasmania in a zoo. Does anyone know the last thylacine that we know of, what it died of? It died of neglect. Ooh, I wouldn't want to be a human right now. <laughs> the last thylacine died shivering, cold and alone in a cage uh, in Tasmania, it couldn't get to the sheltered part of its enclosure because they couldn't be bothered leaving it open for it. Prior to that, the Tasmanian state government had been... Uh, you could, they, they paid you to kill thylacines. There was a bounty on thylacines in Tasmania up until 1910. It was like some sort of creepy late 19th century endangered species Centrelink scheme. Extinction for the doll is what should henceforth be known as. And isn't that... See, no one... When I told that story, I said they died of neglect. No one went... <gasps> Really? A human did that? Everyone said, oh yeah, oh yeah, that sounds about right. It is humanity manifest. No one is surprised. Now some people may well say, oh 1936, now it's quite a long time ago, that was the olden days. Nothing's changed. The way that we treated the Tasmanian tiger, the thylacine, is exactly the same way that we're treating the orange-bellied parrot. Anyone know what an orange-bellied parrot is? No, no of course not, because there's so few of them, you're not going to run into them down to 25 individuals in the wild at one point. They live in coastal heaths. You can find them to the west of Melbourne. Um, I am a birder, as I keep mentioning. I've never seen one. I probably never will see one. And that's what we're doing to the orange belly parrot. Exactly the same thing we did with the thylacine. It's exactly the same thing that we're doing with the mountain pygmy possum, which is not going to have any more alpine habitat left because we've warmed up the climate too much. It's exactly what is happening to the Eltham copper butterfly. What sort of cartoonish evil species would cause the extinction of a butterfly? Why don't you just punch a unicorn in the face? <laughs> this is a mass extinction. What we are doing is officially a mass extinction. There's one that killed the dinosaurs, there's one in the Permian, there's countless other ones, and then there is humans. There's a line on the, on the timeline there that says humans, mass extinction. But there's an interesting side to this in that it is unprecedented in Earth's history that we could, it could be stopped. No other mass extinction could reasonably be stopped. We could, if we wanted to, end a mass extinction. We're not gonna, obviously, uh, but we could. It's not 
The cause of this extinction is not an undivertible, hurtling asteroid coming at the planet. It's not some weird uh, chemical uh, process or geological formation. The cause of this mass extinction is a featureless, squishy, naked primate with less brains than an octopus who would rather watch a butterfly go quietly extinct than say, no thanks, when the checkout chick offers them their 10th Lion King Ushi for that day, which they're then going to throw absentmindedly in the creek on their way home to their third house. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you are not worth saving. Oh, I'm wrong! If, if any of you were planning on throwing an Ushi in the creek on the way home, just, just don't. Uh, they're actually worth money now. You can sell them on eBay. It's just got us all very depressed. I will cheer us all up uh, with some more science news. It always cheers me up. Um, now, <laughs> this was published a couple of weeks ago. Um, it came out about slime mould, uh, and scientists have discovered that slime mould is able to remember things and learn from its environment. <laughs> Go slime mould. <laughs> Evolve quickly. <laughs> Even without a nervous system, it turns out the slime is able to learn about substances it encounters, retain that knowledge, and even communicate that uh, information to other slime moulds. So the scientists actually tested this by setting the slime mould blobs challenges, such as salt barriers to get across to get to food. And once the blob had found a way over, it would connect its veins with the other slime mould and tell it what to do. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Scientists returned from lunch to find the slime trading Games of Thrones spoilers <laughs> and sharing where to get the best kombucha in Melbourne. <laughs> this has been a huge breakthrough for science, uh, showing that having a brain is not necessary for survival. Uh, in fact, scientists say that if the slime mould wants to run on a One Nation ticket, <laughs> it's actually an advantage. <laughs> Our next speaker is not for one nation. She's a woman for all nations. Beck is a very funny comedian, writer and performer. She's written for Channel 10's The Project Matters Hell, appeared in the ABC Fresh Blood series Australia Think Tank. She's been on Get Kraken. I don't know if you saw her. Uh, she's part of the Stupid Old Studios team of awesome legends. She's done heaps of radio. I wrote so much about you, Beck. Wow. <laughs> Uh, hello, my name's Beck Petratus. I'm the second speaker for the for the affirmative. Oh my God! What a muck up so early. Can we take that? Yeah, no, no, that's not like a. Is that my own goal sort of thing, like in basketball? Anyway, uh, now I just want to quickly rebut. I just want to quickly rebut a few things that the negative team's first speaker said that threatened both the sanctity of truth and your lives. So pay attention. All right, Tanya, sewer soap. I don't want a bar of it. Oh, that's nothing. <laughs> I wrote it down and I was like, I don't know. And also, Toby, if Trump, like, does, like, okay, so you said we were for Trump. What I am for is being around when the cockroaches get Trump. Because if we're not around, then we don't get the, the joy of that. You want cockroaches just to enjoy Trump going? Anyway, that's nothing either. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> 
Uh, also, Rowan said we don't have a worth. We actually do. Our blood is very expensive on the black market. You can't sell it for so much. Um, now, on previous sci-fights, I've used this time to reveal the research that I've done on the, the other team that sort of show where they're bad people and that their very existence contradicts their silly little arguments. But in this case, I've actually found just lovely things about these people. Rowan, Rowan has bloody written some poetry about the superb fairy wren. Oh. Oh. He has. Truth. And yes, it was partly inspired by how randy the birds are. But supporting promiscuous chicks is very woke. So, good on you, buddy. Good on you. Like, oh my God. And Tanya is so good at sharing helpful advice for living a greener life that she's won a bloody award. She's won a United Nations Association of Australian Media Award. That's pretty bloody impressive. Yeah. But her tips on using less harsh cleaning products have meant that I now have no vinegar or bicarb soda in my house and I can't make any volcanoes. And that's all I want to make. How do I make these volcanoes? I've tried making volcanoes with the harsher cleaning products, but that actually has less of a volcano and you kind of make more of like a deadly smog. Um, and I need that deadly smog to clean my shower. My shower is very dirty. Uh, and of course we have Toby Halligan, who I'm sure has done something good. <laughs> Look, what I'm trying to say is that these are all very good people and they are living proof of why humans are worth saving. Oh, what? Yeah, got him. Uh, <laughs> look at them go, showing their support for the planet and saying that we're, they're willing to go down with the ship too. Oh, so beautiful. I mean, they're arguing for your whole family to die. Uh, so maybe they're not at the top of the people we should save list. Um, maybe a bit further down, hanging out with the guy who made grain waves. <laughs> Those chips made of grain. Because grain waves are fine, and so are these people, and I think that's, I think that's fair. So, um... But in stating all the positives of the negative team, I know how you're feeling. Things aren't looking great for the human race right now. We're on the verge of ecological disaster, politics continues to divide us, and the rap country crossover hit Old Town Road by Lil Nas has been knocked off the number one spot in the Billboard charts after 19 record-breaking weeks, people. Where will I know where to take my horse now? Ye on. Is this not a little Nas crowd? Nope, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, but my own faith in humanity is also sort of melting away, not unlike the polar ice caps or an abandoned Ushi in a Woolworths car park. So rather than ignoring this big mess that the human race has made of things, I'm going to focus on it. So because I don't believe that we should get away with all of this, getting rid of people lets them off too easy. Humans deserve to be saved because they've made too big a mess not to clean this up. Yeah. Thanks, Crab. And the messes aren't going to clean themselves. We don't have a magical problem-solving Roomba. Yet. What if we get a big... Anyway, no, that's... Look. Hence why we need to save humanity to give the planet a shot. So I've split this into three parts. The things I think we've made the biggest mess of, the environment, society and culture. I'm going to detail just one of the biggest messes that humans have made in each of these areas and definitively set out the human-powered solution to fix it. So first, the environment. We really goofed this one up, guys. <laughs> Whoopsie doopsie. 
Um, we've got a lot of rubbish hanging around and it's not going anywhere soon. And it's a wild west out there. The recycling bin is just a regular bin with a different coloured hat on now. <laughs> we have all of this garbage headed to landfill with no possible alternate destination. Or do we? Whose houses are filled with useless rubbish by choice? I put forward, for your humble consideration, our environmental saviours, geeks. <laughs> yeah. In my possession, I have an extensive 90s figurine collection. I've got five, count them, five Harry Potter wands. I only have two hands. <laughs> and at least eight TARDISes. I didn't even buy those ones. I mentioned Doctor Who once to an auntie and they keep materialising every Christmas. <laughs> Thank you, Auntie Flo. It's good I have a TARDIS to keep cookies in now. It'll go with my TARDIS scarf, ice cube mould, and that one made of tartar sauce. My tartar TARDIS. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that we just need to create some sort of muck-based cinematic universe. An MCU, if you will. So if we create some comic book heroes out of pieces of rubbish, like stuff Iron Man, what about Plastic Boy? The Hulk, the bulk packet of noodles. Hawkeye, this rotting gar bag of dumplings. It's a joke about Spider-Man's rubbish deal here. That, that was some news today, it doesn't matter. Then geeks will, will welcome this plastic junk into their house. Now, will I need a bigger house to keep my extensive Nintendo Amiibo collection and the world's waste? Yes. Do you want to save the planet? Well, then mama needs a bigger house. All those soft plastics that you've been carrying around for ages, have no fear because my trash house is here. Now, do you think penguins are going to pick up the pieces when we're gone? No, we need humans and their nerdy hoarding ways to step in or else that discarded toilet paper packaging will never be a movie star. So, we need humans to make the waste problem go away. But what about society's issues? Now, I may hear you say, well, get rid of all the humans, society's problems fixed. Calm down, Thanos. <laughs> But if humans were to be wiped out like the dinosaurs, presumably something else might come along after us and they'll rifle through our remains, which could help inform and build the next society. Humans should clean up their societal mess, if not for themselves, for the next lot. And I believe our societal issues all lie at the top. Our politicians, don't know if you've noticed, uh, but they're, they're not so good. Uh, and I think it's very evident in the fact that political satire sort of stopped working in, like, 2016 for some reason. I don't know if you guys all noticed that. The joke's... And I think if we get political satire working again, that means our politicians will become something more than walking, living, breathing jokes. And that would be... Ooh, that would be interesting. So the onion sort of stopped losing, like, having its potency after Tony Abbott took a little nibble. And I'm too scared to joke about which reality TV host will be president next... I just don't want X-Factor's red foo. <laughs> Party Rock is in the White House tonight, does not even fit the rhythm of the song, but he'll do it. Um, in my old job in TV news, I used to see politicians a lot, and it's kind of sad how much they're just treated like some dude now. The respect is just gone. Um, the most respect I showed politicians was that when I went to take a photo of them, in order to not hit my baseball cap against the camera, I would have to like, flip it back to, like, from the normal person sort of thing to, like, a kid about to do a cool skateboarding trick and go, like, me prime minister. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think that's respect. But <laughs> how do we jumpstart political satire and get some respect back in our politicians? Pretty simple. 
uh, voting good politicians. It's not a funny solution. It's just the right one. Uh, but if you want a funny solution that won't work, uh, what about my political satire? Uh, maybe it's time we all took our repressed rage and started pretending that we were in a glass box and the glass box is the Canberra bubble or something. And we're like, whoop. Yep, okay, let's not do that one then. <laughs> so we need to keep humans around to fix society by using democracy, but not mime, I guess. You guys <laughs> decided on that with your response. Now, finally, culture. There's one big thing that only humans can make. And without us, the peak in achievement of this whole galaxy will never be reached again. And I'm, of course, talking about 3D Doritos. <laughs> and we did it. We achieved the perfect chip as a people on January 22nd, 1998. <laughs> we added a third dimension to corn chips. We changed the face of the snack food aisle landscape, or at least we gave it an extra face, and then it pops out a bit. But after only six glorious years, 3D Doritos were discontinued, and we were never given a reason. Frito-Lays took them away, but Frito-Lays has the power to bring them back. If all the humans are wiped out, with them goes all the possibilities of a 3D Doritos future. 3D Doritos could never occur naturally without our intervention. It was their artificialness that made them special. And this all may seem a bit corny, but that's just what I'm passionate about. Corn! Specifically mushed into a shape like a tiny triangle pillow. And maybe that's why we've all been feeling so flat about the human race lately. All it takes is a little push and a lot of nacho cheese. And we might find the space to hope again inside a 3D Dorito. In conclusion, if you believe in justice, if you believe humans shouldn't get away with the mess they've made, if you believe in 3D Doritos, humans are worth saving. I made 3D Doritos confetti. I'm so sorry. But I'm also going to clean up this mess afterwards to prove my point. And that's all. I'm so sorry. All right. Bye. Where did you get... <sighs> I don't know what to say to that. Uh, but uh, these are not... What? 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 These props. Do you... Where? Okay. All right. So... Okay. Put... Okay, I appreciate I made them. <laughs> you made them. I made them. Yeah. They're foam. Okay. They're not... They, they're easy to clean up. They're not glitter. We don't need a vacuum. It's true. We have, we have come some way since the first debate. I do appreciate that. I just... I was oh, sort yeah. of tempted to eat one. I won't. No, um, don't eat them. <laughs> okay. No, no killing the host. It's in the rules. I should have put that at the beginning. I'm going to move on and introduce our very next debater. It is Tanya Ha. Now, she, as you've already heard, uh, through a brutal roasting... <laughs> An award-winning Australian environmentalist, a best-selling author, science journalist and sustainable living advocate. 
She's currently the Director of Engagement and at the Communication Agency Science in Public. Uh, and she's very good on Twitter. I think you should all follow her, but don't look at your phones now. Listen to her uh, on this stage, speaking into this particular microphone. Please make some noise for Tanya Ha! We are here tonight, brothers and sisters, to talk about the hope of salvation for the human race in this disposable society. We have created. Are you here for the truth? Hallelujah. Are you here for revelation? Have you heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Yeah. Well, tonight I will read you from the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 8. And I looked And behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed him. And power was given to him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Probably her horse. And pollution and pestilence and plastic followed the pale horse. And I beheld there in her flowing blonde mane were hair clips made from little shop collectibles, like this. Now, I know about this because the pale horse naturally used her white privilege and her long blonde hair um, to create a side hustle um, as a social media influencer. Hi, I'm Winnie, the wellness warrior. I am dedicated to holistic horse health. Follow me on Instagram, at Divine Equine. (laughs) She does paid posts for diet shakes and she tells her followers to say no to the Hendra vaccine because horse autism or something like that. (laughs) Because that, my friends, that's the world that humans have created. Now, seriously, you know, there are actually YouTube videos that will show you how to make crafty hair clips with the little shop of horrors that you can get at Coles. So that's kind of where I start my argument for why humans aren't worse day. I'm going to spell it out with three key reasons that, unfortunately, humans are not worth saving. Number one, we don't get this whole circle of life thing. I mean, we eat the antelope. When we die, our bodies become the grass, and the grass eat the, no, the antelope eat the grass, and so we're all connected through the great circle of life. And it, that is true. I know because James or Jones or Beyonce or someone said so. <laughs> and when nature does litter, it's leaf litter. You know, the leaf litter insulates the soil, it prevents the loss of moisture, it feeds the ecosystem. When humans do litter, like plastic, it chokes wildlife, particularly marine animals. And when they die and decompose, all that plastic hangs around and lives to fight and kill another day. Now, when nature comes with a gift, a gift with purchase, it's a flower. It gives pollen to the bees and it produces fruit to feed other animals. When humans do a gift with purchase, it's a useless Lion King. Oshi, is it Oshi or Ushi or Ushi? I, I, Ushi, uh, anyway, it's one of these. Wait, what's that you're saying, Mufasa? <laughs> Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. As king, you need to understand that balance and respect all creatures from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope. Humans, 
we don't do that. We're not really into that. I mean, we use more than our fair share of the planet's resources. We make these useless collectibles and we feed our materialistic, disposable lifestyle. We pave paradise and put up a parking lot. <laughs> We're now in the Anthropocene and, as you've heard, it's the sixth mass extinction and this time it's our fault. The previous ones, it's faster than those. Which brings me to point number two. Key point number two, shuffling my pages. Even if we save humans, we'll just find another way to destroy ourselves. We're pretty smart that way. <laughs> humans have actually come close to making ourselves extinct you know, quite a few times in human history. I mean, there was the World Wars, World War II, that was about 60 to 118 million deaths. The Mongol conquest in Eurasia, that was about 40 million deaths. The mid-14th century, there was the Black Plague, you know, the plague, Black Death, whatever it was called, that killed an estimated one-third of Europe's population. Millions of people. Now, you might say, oh, no, no, don't blame humans. It was the fault of that bacteria or the fleas and the rats that spread it. But actually, it was inequality that made it so lethal because that was the time when you had aristocracy and, you know, peasants, serf people, who were kept in such poor conditions and bad health that they were, you know, starved, their immune systems were very weak. They were susceptible for the disease, which then brought the disease into contact with their masters, especially in cities where people were living close together. So the fact of where you have inequality means that the human population, both masters and servants, becomes much more susceptible to these plagues that might wipe us out. So there you go, America. That's a reason not to have the have-nots and the one-percents and all that sort of thing. Let's go to another part of the world, the Great Leap Forward. Oops, the Chinese Great Famine. Uh, now, that <laughs> took... Um, it wasn't quite a Great Leap Forward. It took people from farming and put them into iron and steel production, along with some odd agricultural practices. The funny thing is, is when you don't have people growing food, you, you don't have food and you can't eat iron and steel. And it's estimated that about, you know, between 11 and 55 million people died of salvation. Now, we're also killing the bees and other insects, which pollinate our food crops. Trump has reversed the Obama-era EPA plan to ban the pesticide chlorpyrifos, you know, that, that neurotoxin that just happens to be linked to childhood brain damage, because heaven forbid that the government should get in the way of business making money or Obama having a legacy. That just can't be done. And then there's a whole, you know, nuclear warfare, mutual, you know, mutual total annihilation. What's that thing? The mutual assured destruction, yeah, the, which is supposed to keep us in check, except that Donald Trump is now at that table and doesn't quite understand that. He asks questions like... We got the nukes, why, why do we use them? He's never heard of nuclear winter. But then he doesn't understand climate change either, so I don't know really what I was expecting. Now, you might say, you know, Donald Trump, Chairman Mao, you know, they're, they're just a few bad apples, you know. For every Hitler, there's a gazillion million nice people. Well, that brings me to point number three. Humans with good intentions still manage to do bad stuff. Now, I'm going to tell you the story of just, just one person, a nice, well-meaning American inventor and mechanical and chemical engineer. His name was Thomas Mid Mid Midgley Jr. Now, he found that if you add tetraethyl lead to petrol, it prevents knocking in internal combustion engines, which was really good at the time, and it made his employees lots of money. Um, but you'll note that their marketing team called it ethyl, and they carefully avoided 
any reference to the lead bit of that tetraethyl lead. And he won a stack of awards before becoming sick with lead poisoning. Uh, because lead is a highly poisonous heavy metal, there's no safe level of exposure, and the combustion of leaded petrol disperses stacks of lead along with other combustion gases into the atmosphere, and it's very bad for your health. But nice fellow that he was, he wanted to atone, so he set to work on alternatives to the toxic and flammable and explosive refrigerants that were being used at the time. And, you know, refrigeration and air conditioning is really useful. So he and his colleagues ultimately synthesised dichloro... Di anyway, um, Freon was the trademarked name, the ultimate freedom gas, Freon. Um, and after they developed that gas, they did a whole class of variations of Freon called chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs. Any of you heard of those? Yeah. Many years later, it was discovered that CFCs have this unfortunate habit of floating up into the upper atmosphere where they come across ozone, and they destroy it. Yeah. And the thing about CFCs, they release this little chlorine radical that it's a catalyst in ozone destruction, meaning that it's part of the reaction, but it's not consumed by the reaction. So when it destroys an ozone molecule, it lives to fight another day and destroy another ozone molecule and so on and so on and so on. Um, in fact, the environmental historian J.R. McNeil opined that Midgley had more impact on the atmosphere than any other single organism in the Earth's history. So bad luck humans and all other life forms that might have their DNA damaged by UV rays that can now penetrate our atmosphere. So are humans worth saving? No, because we don't understand our place in the circle of life or we're unwilling to take our place in the circle of life. I mean, yes, humans are ingenious, but we're selfish as well. Uh, because if we're all saved, we'll just destroy ourselves later. And because even when we're trying to be constructive, we're destructive, and that is resulting in the loss of a myriad of other living species, from the declines of insects to the permanent extinction, as we've heard, as we've heard from Brother Rowan of the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger. So tonight, brothers and sisters, at the end of the proceedings, you'll be given a choice. You'll be asked to raise your voices to make that choice. On one hand, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Will you choose to save humans and the death, destruction and plastic ushies they leave in their wake? Or will you decide that humans are not worth saving and instead choose the salvation of all the rest of creation? Choose ye this day and choose life. Do I have an amen? Tanya Ha! Now, uh, we're going to go to our th third affirmative debater tonight. It is Richard McKenzie, who is a comedian, an actor, an improviser, a storyteller, a gamer, a trivia host, a fried chicken destroyer. Uh, he has more Magic the Gathering cards than you do. <laughs> Possibly all of you together. Um, I don't know, we can get together after the show and, and count. Uh, sounds like fun. Uh, you might know him as the, the trivia king at the Cornish Arms Hotel or the better half of the uh, live-action Dungeons & Dragons show Dungeon Crawl. Um, or you might have met him once at a party. I don't want to be prescriptive. He's a lovely man. Please make some noise for Richard McKenzie. Got so many notes. 
All right. Just just before we kick off, I've got some rebuttals or like just some questions that I want to know. I was going to uh, say to Rowan, like because uh, you were talking about uh, Ushis, uh, do you actually have uh, a Mufasa? Because I'm looking for one. Um, <laughs> also, uh, Rowan, you were saying that there are some species uh, of, of animals that can uh, provide uh, like electric shocks mm. to, uh, to defend themselves. Uh, and that we, as a human species, can't do that. Uh, well, it's not for lack of trying. Because I will tell you, this is a true story. Uh, about a kilometre uh, that way, uh, I was tasered by a bunch of three hooligans. Uh, yes, I was coming home uh, late from a pub one night, and uh, I was beset upon by a bunch of uh, three gentlemen uh, who wanted to uh, relieve me of all my things. Uh, and they did, quite, <laughs> quite effectively. Um, <laughs> And so they tasted me, and they tasted me a lot. They tasted me so much that at the hospital they said that my heart was beating irregularly because of the amount of electricity that was pumped through my body. So I'm just saying, we're trying to evolve as quickly as we can. <laughs> and if there was ever a chance of me being a superhero, that was fucking it. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to try again, but... <laughs> I mean, a lot of the stuff about humanity... Uh, comes from me from a very personal level. Like, you know, I'm, I'm super excited about phase four of the MCU. I mean, they've just, yeah, like we've just had Endgame and then, then they've announced Black Panther 2 and like, you know, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp 2 and all the, the, the Disney Plus uh, TV shows. I don't want to go yet. I want to watch them all. And now D23 is happening tomorrow and they're going to announce Phase 5. Oh, my God, the Fantastic Four is going to come in. I understand that I'm, you know, it's, all the stuff that I'm super excited about is super nerdy. Um, but I think that's, a, that's a, an amazing thing. Like, we just don't know what's going to happen next. Like, uh, humanity 50 years ago, if you tried to explain the internet to someone 50 years ago, that's fucking magic. Oh, look, now, I want to get to a point that is, was very close to my heart. Um, my brother, Adam, has a beautiful bulldog named Murphy. He is a big dumb idiot of a dog and I love him to death but if we go then who looks after him are you going to kill all the good doggos and if so like how is that going to happen like how do we get rid of humanity if we decide that this is it that's done like how does it go mass genocide does someone pull the trigger does that one person last and then then they just fucking you know, eke out an existence with, trying to look after all the good doggos. But, like, is someone to kill your gran? Like, who's... How does this work? And when they said uh, on the opposition that, like, that it isn't a circle of life, yes, it is. Soylent Green is people. <laughs> oh, too soon? <laughs> look, I don't know how much more time I've got, but I, I want to I tell you a, a, a story about how uh, I think... Uh, humanity is a wonderful, beautiful thing, and it is worth saving because I want to tell you about the time that I went to Thailand with my dad, and we were over there for Anzac Day. Uh, we were at the um, the Anzac Day services up near the uh, Thai-Burmese border at Hellfire Pass. Uh, it was the day before, and Dad was running a book about the Thai-Burmese Hellfire Pass railway. And it was lovely, and, and Dad decided that he was going to go into the jungle because he thought he'd discovered a little bit of the, uh, the railway that he wanted to take photographs of for the book. And he said, do you want to come into the jungle with me to do that? And I said, no. 
That's the Thailand jungle. There are snakes and spiders and ninjas. I'm not going inside. And so he said, fine, I'm going in by myself. And I go, fine, go in by yourself. So he went in by himself. And I walked up the road. And it was a very hot day. And I'd run out of water. And I was at the Thai Burmese border. But I could see over in Burma that there was a small township. And I could see signage. And I went, oh, I'll go over there. And I'll get myself a Coke. And will be fine. But I didn't have my passport on me. So I walked up to the border guard, and I said to him, hi, it's very hot and I've run out of water. Can I just pop into Burma for five minutes and get a Coke? And he didn't say anything because he didn't speak English, which is fine. And so I, I was just mention, motioning to him, looking, I'm just going to go in five minutes, just grab a Coke and I'll come straight back. No passport, is that okay? And he didn't say anything, so I just assumed it was fine. So I... Went into Burma without a passport. And I walked up to the, uh, the signage and I indeed got myself a Coke and a chicken skewer as well, which was probably one of the most amazing things I've ever eaten in my entire life. If you ever go to Burma, try the chicken skewer. And I'm sitting there going, Richard, why are there wars? Why do people fight? Look at me in border guard, man. He just understood... I was a guy who needed a drink, and he just let me through. Everything's fine. Why do people just have to... Why can't they just get along? And I'm walking back, pretty full of myself, coke in one hand, chicken stew in the other, and I get close to the border, and I see that my border guard has fucked off. <laughs> and there is another man standing there who doesn't know the, the deal I had with border guard man. <laughs> He's a different border guard man. I don't know if you've ever been in a tense situation, but when you are, you tend to focus in on one small thing, that's the only thing you could see. And that was, for me, the man's hand moving ever closer to the trigger on the massive automatic weapon on his shoulder as I walked up to him, babbling like a madman, going, oh, hey, how you doing and stuff? So I just popped over to Burma to get a Coke, but I didn't have my uh, passport on me. But your friend said it was okay, but he doesn't seem to be here anyway. So my dad's in the jungle looking for train tracks. Can I please go back and find him? <laughs> He's not really saying anything. His hand's getting closer to the trigger. I'm sort of getting closer to the border. He's not really stopping me and stuff. I get my foot into Thailand. I go, fuck it, Richard, just go. Just go. And I go. I'm about 20 feet down, and that's when the machine gun goes off. I fucking shit myself. I drop my Coke. I drop my chicken skewer, which I'm not fucking happy about. <laughs> I jackrabbit down the road. Bullets are pissed off the road and I'm not sure whether or not it was a fragment of a bullet or a stone but I got shot in the leg like I've had worse paper cuts it just came across my shin but I've technically been shot <laughs> I dive into a ditch I look up and I look back to see the guy is now firing his gun indiscriminately into the air while the other border guard who I had to deal with sticks his head out of the guard tower and goes ha 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 that is the best fucking practical joke I have ever seen in my entire life. We are worth saving just for that man. He could have killed me for a gag. I'm sitting in a ditch crying my eyes out. My dad appears out of the jungle going, what the fuck are you doing? Is oh, I'm just having a Coke. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that's my time, I feel. Uh, look... We're all in this together, apart from the lizard people over here. Richard McKenzie. 
He's been electrocuted and shot, and somehow that is for humanity's survival. I'm, I'm getting very confused this evening. So what we'll do is we'll move to our final debater for the night. Are you ready for our, our last debater together for this evening? Oh, that's a correct response. Can condition an audience. There you go. Toby Halligan is a writer and a comedian. He owns a greyhound called Banjo. Oh, dear. He spends most of his time taking pictures of Banjo and telling people about them. Banjo is black and has a soft, wet nose. He likes chicken. Banjo, not Toby. (laughs) Toby has written for The Monthly, The Project, Mad as Hell, and The Weekly, and is working on a book called Banjo, The Black Greyhound with a Soft, Wet Nose (laughs) that likes chicken. Toby is ambivalent towards chicken, but you should make some noise for him anyway. Toby Halligan! Oh, ladies and gentlemen, give a big round of applause for our host, Atlanta. What a fabulous debate this is. And the opposition team, lizard people or not lizard people, they sure are a great bunch of characters, aren't they? Well, I'm really torn, folks. I don't know about all of you. I really am torn. I, I really like the other team. I do like them. And, and it's, it's, it's sad that they're all going to die. It is sad, isn't it, right? Not, not by our hand. To be clear, I think Richard was kind of talking about, do you want the other team to kill your grandmothers? This is not something that's happening tonight, yeah? Like, we're not pro that happening tonight. Um, uh, It's just something that we collectively think is probably more likely based on a whole lot of the trajectory. And look, the other team had a great case. Richard went to Burma and had a great time. (laughs) Beck likes Doritos. Drew likes microphones. That's good, right? That's really... That's really... That's really good. And sure, microphones have given us so much. They have given us so many things, haven't they? Yeah, so much great music... But they also gave us Shannon Knowles' What About Me? (laughs) Have we thought about that, folks? The Baja men's Who Let the Dogs Out? Paris Hilton singles, whatever the fuck they were called. I don't remember. No one does, yeah? So, look, when it it comes to any of these inventions, there's positives and negatives. And, you know, Beck, I understand that desire to want to see 3D Doritos. I think you might be thinking of fortune cookies, maybe? Like, are they the kind of fortune cookies? Like, I think the Chinese may have invented what you want a long time ago. No? Okay, they they, they seem like a 3D chip. You know, anyway, whatever. I'm sure they're not. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure... I'm sure you're right, you're the expert. I'm not going to presume to chip splain to you. Um, Though that is the tradition of my people, the white man. I um... am... We we do do that bullshit, don't we? We do do a lot of that bullshit. But running through a lot of the affirmatives case was this kind of broad philosophical question. Like, think of all the great shit we're going to invent. Think about that, right? And it reminds me of the words... Of a very great philosopher. Jew was talking about Confucius. This man's another great philosopher. He talked about how there are known knowns and there are known unknowns and there are unknown unknowns. I think you all know who I'm talking about. That's Donald Rumsfeld, the brains of George W. Bush, yeah? When you talk about the brains of George W. Bush, you're not saying very much, yeah? That was the guy who took us to the Iraq War, right? Yeah, we, we don't know exactly what we're, we're going to invent, but if you were, were listening to Tanya's speech, the history of humanity suggests that 
for every 3D Dorito and for every microphone, there'll be a lot of fucked up shit, yeah? There's going to be a lot of stuff where, like, we accidentally find new ways to choke a whale. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's just part of the fundamental problem, right, with this idea that we'll magically invent these technologies that fix things, is that... I don't know whether you guys have noticed this, right? And I know you're all totally different because you're lizard people, not humans. <laughs> is it humans are kind of selfish? I don't know whether you guys have noticed this. Like, 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 can I give you an example, right? Can everybody close their eyes? I want you all close your eyes, right? Close your eyes, close your eyes, right? I want you to imagine Jesus, yeah? Just imagine Jesus. Jesus is there looking at you. You're looking at Jesus, but not in a weird way. You're not, you know, you're not making like weird, intense eye contact like with someone on the tram and you're like, fuck, I got it off. <laughs> it's raining, it's not my stop. You know, you're not staring down Jesus, okay? Right, we can stop now, it's getting weird, okay? Right. How many of your Jesuses were white? All of them, yeah? Now think about this. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago in Palestine in the Middle East. Do you reckon Jesus was white? There is no goddamn way Jesus was white, yeah? The reason we all think of Jesus as white is the people who were painting Jesus were all fucking white. And we're all white. Humans project ourselves into every goddamn situation and we put ourselves first, yeah? You know when you watch The Lion King, we all think of ourselves as Mufasa? We're not. We're Scar. We're self-centred, right? We're self-centred. If you don't believe me, judge our societies. Have a look at the people who are leading our countries right now, yeah? It's Donald Trump, it's Boris Johnson, it's Scott Morrison, yeah? How good is democracy? How good are humans? Not very fucking good, Scott. Here is, this is a literal quote, and this is also to give you some insight, because I think part of this goes too, to how likely... We are to survive. This is something the Deputy Prime Minister recently said. So the Prime Minister, this happened like two days ago, the Prime Minister went to a Pacific Island forum and all the Pacific Islander leaders were like, hey, can you like stop destroying the world? Because we're in it and that's a real problem for us, right? Uh, It was about climate change. He said, this is a quote, I also get a little bit annoyed when we have people in those sorts of countries pointing the finger at Australia and saying we should be shutting down all our resources sectors so that, you know, they will continue to survive. They'll continue to survive because many of their workers come here and pick our fruit. That is an actual quote, right? Here's the thing. Independently for what an enormous douchebag that guy is, right, does he not realise that we're in the same ocean as those Pacific Islands? Like, that is how dumb a lot of these people are, yeah? So, so that really is, I think, part of the fundamental problem, is that because we're so inherently self-centred, it's kind of hard to get past it, yeah? I mean, think about it. Like, the last couple of extinction crises, one was called, caused by a meteor, like, one was caused by a whole bunch of volcanoes going off, we are causing one of them, right? And Beck wants us to clean our room, yeah? She's like, we've got we to keep people around because they've got to clean their room, right? Now, cleaning your room works when you can, like, send... Great, go to your room and clean it. It's disgusting, right? There is no other room in the world, yeah? The world is the room and the thing Greg needs to clean. But also, right, like, if... Imagine for a moment if you had a choice, right? You've got to work out who's going to drive you home. And you've got a choice driving you and every other thing on the earth home. Would you choose the species that's less nurturing than a meteor? Do you know what I mean? Like, I just think... (laughs) 
But what we also heard earlier from our team, Ryan, is that it really is a choice because it's a mass extinction, right? And think about, think about all the amazing animals we're going to give up. You were talking about the doggos, Richard. And yeah, some doggos will survive if humans remain. But imagine a doggo-based society. Maybe doggos will rise up from the ashes and create like an awesome world, like there's Japanese films about exactly that scenario happening. <laughs> Documentaries, I'm sure. <laughs> really cool stop animation. They're really, they're really artistic. They made me cry a little bit. Anyway, Banjo was a good boy. That's important, right? Animals, think of the animals, folks, right? And think of the animals who deserve to inherit the earth so much better than us. Because animals are so much like us, yeah? Koalas like sitting at home getting stoned. <laughs> Bonobo monkeys engage in recreational sex. Gorillas can learn sign language and tell jokes. The quokka, you know, the, the quokka, when the parent quokka are going around with their children and they encounter a predator, like the parent quokka will throw their baby at the predator and <laughs> run away. Yeah? <laughs> Often the animals have better survival techniques than us, right? Liar birds, they can imitate any other bird. They can even imitate chainsaws and electric cameras and stressed out dads yelling at their misbehaving children, wishing they could throw them at predators like quokkas, right? My favourite animal, though, is the sperm whale. If we go, maybe sperm whales get to inherit the earth anyway. You know, sperm whales, can make the, they make the loudest sound in the animal kingdom. They can make 230 decibel noises, which are louder than jet engines if you were standing next to them, right? And they use those sounds for echolocation. So they use that to find prey, like squids and things like that. But they also use that to communicate. And whales, all whales, have a different section of their brain. As in, they have an extra section compared to us. They have an extra hemisphere of their brain. Because whales have such complex social lives, they think socially. There is no I in whale. It's only they. That's why they beach together, yeah? Because when they look at beached whales, right, like, it's only ever a couple of them that are sick. And it's because all the other whales don't want to abandon the ones that are sick. How good are whales? Whales are the best, guys. And you know what? Whales, when they find, like, disabled creatures, like there have been sperm whale pods found with disabled dolphins, they save people regularly. Do you know what we do when we find, like, a whale that needs a hand? We put it in SeaWorld, where the whale gets to help a woman called Chantel do backflips in front of fat Americans, yeah? We are the worst Choose whales, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, I've really bummed you out there, haven't I? Everyone's really fucking... Everyone's like, Jesus Christ, yeah. Hooray! Um, that, was, that was a real downer. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. those whales. Facts, guys. Um, I'll, avoid, um, I'll avoid that. Um, I'm approaching my time, folks. Look, we have a choice tonight. And on this side... On, uh, sorry, actually, I'll do it another way. On this side, we have microphones, and they're great, aren't they? They're great. Microphones are great. We have 3D Doritos, and we have fun in Burma. And on this side... You have life. Choose life, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that is all the debaters. Can I have a round of applause for everyone you've seen tonight? Now, in a few moments, I am going to throw to you to decide who was the superior team tonight. Were you convinced or not whether humans should make it into the next season? Uh, now, before we go there, I'm just going to share some of the summaries of the argument. It's been a busy night, so I'm just going to remind you of some of the things that were said. Juthang uh, Su opened with the very compelling argument uh, that we're intelligent species. And God, Cambridge Analytica really did some clever stuff. 
and, and Trump was so smart, he managed to convince people uh, to build a wall. And that was a bold move for, a, for an opener to <laughs> debate about humanity. Um, she then went on to say that everything is carbon and everything is possible. And she is a chemistry teacher, so I'm not going to argue with her on that one. Uh, onto Rowan, he, uh, he doesn't want us to think that he is prejudiced or bigoted. Uh, and it's very rare that prejudices or bigoted people do want us to think of them as prejudiced or bigoted. So it really circled back on him there, really. Uh, he took himself down... Oh, no, he called humans featureless, swishy, naked primates, which, in my experience, is no way to win over an audience. <laughs> Uh, then he took himself down uh, so the opposition didn't have to. Uh, and he said that you wouldn't punch a unicorn in the face. And I don't know, man. That, that <laughs> there is a market for everything. I mean, we've seen how much Ushis are worth tonight. Now, <laughs> Beck then complimented the opposition. It's been a very confusing night. She said, we've made too big a mess not to clean it up. And uh, she's too big a star to not clean up the mess she's made tonight. <laughs> Definitely over what she's done. Uh, she's got five TARDISes in her house, which I think means they're breeding. Beck, uh, you need to see to that. Um, and then uh, Tanya brought the Bible into it, which always makes me nervous. Um, then, <laughs> from my perspective, <laughs> Tanya either flashed the audience or didn't flash the audience. <laughs> It's, it's a Schrodinger's venue complaint. Like, that's, that's where we're at for me, anyway. Uh, Richard McKenzie put forth the compelling argument, dogs, and... <laughs> followed by Toby's compelling argument, dogs. <laughs> Richard also violated international customs law... <laughs> Toby said the entire audience is white. He literally whitewashed the entire room. <laughs> the lizard people can have words with Toby after the show. Uh, <laughs> I think that's what happened. <laughs> now I'm going to throw it to you guys because I don't know what's happened tonight. <laughs> to make a decision whether humans are worth saving as posited by the affirmative or whether the negative. Uh, so first, I want you to make some noise if you thought the affirmative were the winners of tonight's debate. Go! Okay, okay. Some people are on side human. If you thought the negative brought home the argument that we are done for as a species. Make some noise. We just wanted to make your life harder, Alent. <laughs> I hate you all. I award tonight's debate to the negative humans are not worth saving. You have been an absolutely delightful audience. Thank you for putting up with all of our nonsense tonight. Now go get a drink at the beer, at the beer, get at the bar, beer at the bar. You know what to do. See you soon. Good night. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media. 
a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio. Studio.